May the risen and ascended Lord Jesus live forever in your heart as your closest friend and ally. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, it seems obvious, but as times change, many things in life cease to be relevant. Their importance diminishes or disappears altogether. The most obvious example, of course, is, is changing technology, which transforms yesterday's marvels in today's, into today's junk. The landfill is the home of a lot of stuff that not that long ago was just awesome. I don't know if you can find things other than in the landfill like CD or cassettes rather, VHS tapes, floppy disks, rotary dial phones, all the rage, not so much anymore. No one waits, or almost no one waits for their film to be developed or for that that ridiculous dial-up internet to connect to the internet. Boing, dong, boing. Card catalogs in the library. CDs in those bulky binders that we used to store them in. Slide projectors. Paper maps. You remember that? Where we used to have a glove compartment. Your parents or grandparents had that glove compartment. Stuff full of those things. And you'd see people going down the road. Hopefully not the driver, but I remember seeing that. With this map out. And they're trying to drive and look where they're going. Or the poor wife is like turning it upside down and the other way. And she's doing this. And he's pointing and driving. <clears throat> it's not all bad that some of that isn't with us anymore. The point is, things cease to be relevant when they become obsolete, when their usefulness comes to a close, comes to an end, and a better option is offered. It should therefore come as no great surprise that the prevailing attitude in our society is that the Bible and the Christian faith has reached the end of its usefulness. They believe it is now obsolete and can therefore safely be discarded because something better is now offered. Now understand their logic here. Understand their train of thought. It all begins with their assumption based on dramatically flawed science, which isn't science, that we evolved, that man essentially created himself. That supposes, therefore, that there is not a God, or if there is, he doesn't have anything to do with us. And therefore, any constraints imposed on us by that God, we've evolved now to the point where we're ready to sever those ties. Therefore, also, the Bible is obsolete, because something better, man's own morality, man's own ideas, have now replaced it. See, they see that Bible as a list of do's and don'ts, of constraints and restraints, rather than a book that provides wisdom and life and forgiveness. 
And so they say we don't need those constraints because we have our own path now. So all of it is obsolete. All of it can be discarded. Does it sound familiar? You just sang about it in the psalm. That man says, let us cut the cords that bind us. Let us just move on from this idea of God. And the God that exists, we sang in that psalm, laughs in derision. Certainly not in joy, but in the thought, in the sense that man thinks he can survive without God, or as, as one opposed to God. So our society wants to jettison, or has already, jettison the Bible, and they believe the era of the Christian faith to have come to a close. And when you think about it, this was actually Satan's plan all along, wasn't it? Ever since the Bible was returned to the masses by God through the Reformation, because the only option available to Satan now at first, he successfully, for centuries, withheld the Bible so people couldn't even hear what God said. But now, having been returned and Bibles are everywhere, the only option available to the devil is to make that Word of God appear outdated, obsolete, unnecessary, irrelevant. Apply this to the event that we commemorate on this Sunday, the ascension of our Savior an ever more neglected celebration. And we ask this question, is, is this event, the ascension, still relevant? Now, do you want evidence that there's a problem? Ascension Day was Thursday of this past week. If that day flew underneath your radar, if you gave it barely a thought, then know that there's a problem, and that the problem is not out there, it's in here, it's personal. So this morning we seek to address that problem, that growing problem in the Christian church. We do so on the basis of our text for this morning, which reestablishes the relevance of Christ's ascension, both for him and for us. The text that will guide us is found in the book of Acts, the first chapter, verses 4 through 11. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, 
men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So far, the words of our God. Remember always that these are God's words, not the words of fallible, sin-addled man, eager to be enlightened, instructed, eager to have our faith strengthened through the study of these words, so we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. For Christians, unlike Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, we need to be reminded of the ascension when it comes around. Why is that? Why is this not something that we look forward to, that we prepare for like we do for Christmas and Easter especially? Probably lots of reasons. We're nearsighted, we're self-centered, we're selfish. It's also true that we're busy, we're preoccupied. There's a finite limit to what can occupy our minds. And when we fill it with so many other things, it's easy to let even the important things pass unnoticed. So let's look at these just briefly. First, our self-centeredness. Ascension really isn't our holiday, is it? It isn't about us. The other major Christian holidays, when you think about it, they are about us. Christmas is not about Jesus. He left the perfection of heaven to come here for us. He entered our world to save us. Good Friday, Jesus died, not for himself, but for us. Easter, he rose from the dead. That's about us. But in part, not so with the ascension. This was Jesus' day. Because Jesus got to go home. And what a home. What a home. Now put yourself in Jesus' position. Where would you rather be? Now remember, Jesus had been there, so he knew what it was like. And this was the day he got to go back to exist in the perfection, in the bliss, in that amazing place we know as heaven, his home. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be a highlight for you to get to go back to his home in heaven? The only other person I'm aware of, contrary to what you read in all these books, of I, went, I was died and I went to heaven and I came back, the only person I know that, that visited heaven for a brief time was Paul, who was carried up to see visions of heaven. And he said, and I saw things that aren't permitted for man to speak. And I think it's because he can't articulate what he saw. It's beyond man's comprehension. At any rate, the, the event left him profoundly changed. And he said this, in his letter to the Philippians. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Jesus obviously had the same sentiment. Ascension was the day that he got to go home victorious. The Ascension is therefore a unique holiday, and that is not all about us, but we would do well to commemorate, to celebrate. It's certainly still relevant, if for no other reason than what it is and was to Jesus himself. Our Savior completed his work, did everything that he was supposed to do, and got to go home again victorious. And yet this is not to say that there's nothing in it for us. There is. It's just that it's worthy of our commemoration because of what it meant to Jesus. But what's in it for us? And there's much. There's many things here that teach us that the ascension is still relevant. The problem, again, is that Ascension holds mostly promise for the future. So our self-centeredness works against it because it's Christ's holiday. But also our, our obsession with instant gratification works against us because most of the promise of Ascension is of future blessings, things that lie off in the distance somewhere and we're not good at that, are we? We'd much rather have it right now. A little off the cuff, but, or off topic, but not really. When, when somebody wins the lottery, there's usually two options that they have. They can take a lump sum, which is much less than the actual winnings, or they can have a certain amount of money for life, which they always take. I want it now. I want it now, right now, all of it. That's us. That's just a microcosm of how we are. So when we hear these promises, when we hear how we're blessed in that ascension, and then we hear that it's in the future, I'll get back to you. It's ironic that we have little trouble criticizing others for their faults, for their shortcomings, for their sin. Like we're so quick to condemn the disciples for the silly question that they asked Jesus. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And we're, we find it so easy to overlook our own foolishness, our own selfishness, our own shortcomings. And there are many. Truly, Jesus came to save sinners, didn't he? So we join those, those disciples on that hill outside of Bethany, and we see them gazing up into heaven. The bulletin picture depicts it rather well, I think. The word that the Bible uses to describe what they're doing 
gazing into heaven is the same word that the Bible uses in the New Testament when it talked about how Moses came down from Mount Sinai and his face was glowing, having seen the glory of God as it passed. And they stared intently at him, awestruck. It's the same word that it uses to describe how Stephen looked at that vision of heaven as he was being stoned to death. So we know this was an awesome event. It's a special kind of staring and wonder. And we see them there and we wonder, first of all, how long they stood there looking. We don't know how fast Jesus ascended. We know he's carried up. And they're standing there looking. And we don't know how long they would have stood there had not those two men in white come and address them. And by the way, some wonder, well, how did they know they're angels? They, they, it doesn't say in our text, and two angels stood there. One little clue, how did they, these two men address them? Men of Galilee. How did they know that? So they asked them a question. They realized that they had to be weaned from their Savior. He'd be with them, but not bodily. So they had to be weaned, so they asked him a question. And it's a question to which they knew the answer, of course. So along with the question, they provide some other explanation. The question they asked them, why do you stand looking into heaven? Again, they knew the answer, so they provide this. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the first what's in it for us. But it exists, the promise exists, it points to something in the future. But the reality of this, we don't want to lose that. We don't want to let that slip away or go unnoticed. Because these angels made a promise to us, and angels, remember, cannot speak lies. They come from God, and they tell us what God told them to say. And they gave us, therefore, a promise from God, this same Jesus, who is going up from you today like this, will come again like this. That's awesome. And we don't want to lose that. In fact, we want to bring that to mind when things don't go right, when things seem to be all out of control here on this earth, when everything seems broken and discouraging and frustrating. Then we want to remember this promise. That Savior's coming back. Just as you saw him going to heaven, he's coming again. And he could come at any moment. And his purpose for coming back is to take us to himself in heaven. That's not irrelevant. That's awesome. In fact, if you look at it, if you think about it in another context, the ascension serves as, for us, the second great proof. What does that mean? What was the first great proof? The first great proof, and the thing that's being proved, is that Jesus accomplished his work perfectly for us. That Jesus lived that perfect life and offered that as the sacrifice for man's sins on the cross. Jesus himself taught us about the first proof, which was this. 
if I'm still in the tomb after the third day, I failed. But if the tomb is empty on the third day, know that that is God the Father's seal of approval. It's the proof that you need that I did what I came to do, that I paid your sin debt in full. So that first great proof is the empty tomb. We look at that. Jesus is not there. And it, it, the whole message of the angels, why do you seek the dead among the living? He's not here. He's risen. Why that's such music to our ears? Because that's God's statement of victory and success. Again, his seal of approval on what his son had done. That's the first proof. The second is the ascension. Because Jesus could not ascend to his father if he had failed. Nothing unholy can exist in heaven. So the very fact that Jesus ascended back to his father means a holy, perfect Jesus ascended to his father. A holy, perfect Jesus died on the cross. A holy, perfect Jesus, therefore, gave to his Father, provided for us the full payment for our sin debt. We should see this ascension then every time with every bit as of the excitement with which we see the empty tomb. It's an equal proof that Jesus did what he said he did. Not irrelevant. Incredible. It's a, it's a truth that's supposed to transform us, to give us this comfort, joy, and peace. He went, he's coming back, but the fact that he went means that he went victorious. So clearly, the ascension is still relevant, but there's even more here. Look at, at the last thing that the Savior said to the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So how is that relevant? How does that lend importance or credibility to our continuing celebration of the ascension? Because the ascension was a step in the process. We don't know exactly how or why in God's wisdom he determined, and Jesus told us this, that unless Jesus ascended, and until he did, until he went home, he could not send the Holy Spirit. The event that we plan to celebrate next Sunday, Pentecost. And we could not do what we need to do without that outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It's what transforms us into enlightened Christians, so that we can see the truth, recognize the truth, understand the truth, believe it, and share it. All of this is tied up. Now, how, what kind of evidence do we have? You remember we talked about that silly question the disciples asked? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They've been misguided in this, even though they've been with Jesus for three years. And here, Jesus finally, masterfully, just said, uh, it's not important that you know the times and the seasons set by my father. He didn't say soon. He didn't say later. He didn't say that's going to happen. He just knew that if, they, if you just wait, just wait. So he gave them a command. He said, stay in Jerusalem and you'll know. 
your questions will be answered. So when we see the ascension, we recognize this is a good thing for us. Because Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Part of the what's in it for us. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. A necessary step in the sending of the Holy Spirit. And finally, do yourself one more favor. We touched on this in our first scripture reading, but focus now in the celebration of the ascension on the Savior as he now is. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And again, this is a human picture. God is God. He's a spirit. He doesn't have hands. But Jesus is there in a position of power in heaven. And you read those startling descriptions of this heavenly scene and how all are worshiping the Lamb, all are singing His praises. And you hear, you heard in our first scripture reading that all things have been placed under His feet. He's given authority over all things. God gave this Lamb to the church to be head over all things. Principalities, powers, heaven, earth. Why is that important? Because this is our God now. This is our Savior. You rob yourself, we rob ourselves of the peace and comfort that we can have when we picture Jesus now in heaven any other way than if as He is. He's no longer hanging on the cross. He's no longer humbly drawing in the dirt. The angels that foretold that He'd come as He went, we know more about that from God's Word. He will come on the clouds with power and great glory. And again, why is this so important? Because this is our God now. This is the God to whom we bring our petitions. This is the God, the Savior, who promised to be with us. No longer existing in any sort of humility. This is the Creator God of heaven and earth, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. So when you keep this picture in mind of Jesus, and you address your prayers to this Jesus, you can have every confidence that this Jesus can and will do whatever we need. He has the power and authority to command anything in your existence. And he's the one who said, ask, ask me, come to me. I'm with you always, talk to me. I'll visit you in my word, but you can come to me with your prayers and I promise I will hear. The ascension is relevant. Keep in mind this Savior. Keep in mind that you address your prayers to the risen, ascended Lord Jesus who exists in heaven. And then don't be selfish with that information. He himself gave us work to do. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then an expanding circle. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's others that need to hear, to know. 
Seek to honor Him on this Ascension Day. Praise Him. Glorify Him. You remember the hallelujahs we sing in our hymns? You remember what that means? Praise God. Praise Him for what He's done. Glorify Him as He sits in heaven. And then share that message with the world that you know so well. Having completed His work, Jesus has now returned to His home, the home that will soon be ours. Amen.